Our New Testament reading today is taken from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, reading chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Paul writes this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again together. Father, as we gather today as your people to hear your holy word, we confess our dependence upon your Holy Spirit, the author of Scripture. We pray today, Lord, that he would so search our hearts and so apply the truth to us, Lord, that we might grow uh, 30, 60, and 100 fold. We pray that we would grow thereby, that as newborn babes, we would desire the sincere milk of the word today, that you would fill us, that you would cleanse us, that you'd renew us, O God, I ask. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this place, we ask that they'd be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our only Redeemer. But we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the last few weeks, um, I've been preaching much longer than I normally do uh, as I try to to deal with what Psalm uh, 119 says about the law, that his commandments are exceedingly broad. And uh, I've, I've been trying to kind of show the expansiveness of these laws, and today, just to change things up, I'm going to, I'm going to preach a bit more concisely and uh, give you a, a more compact sermon on, uh, on the fifth commandment. So let me begin by reading the fifth commandment to you, taken from Deuteronomy 5. We read this, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. In our series now on the Ten Commandments, we're moving from the first table and we're moving into the the second table of the law. The first table concerns our duty to God and the second table of the law, that is commandments uh, five to ten, they concern our duty towards our neighbor. And the first table is in the very sense first. It is first in importance. And love to God, as we work through that in the first table, it becomes the basis of my love to my neighbor. That is to say, the second table, it's predicated upon the first. This is why Jesus, by the way, he says the second commandment, 
thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. It's like the first commandment. He says they're intimately related, those two. When we love God, we will love people. We'll love them because they're made in God's image. And we love that image most of all. And we love those things that make much of God. Whenever we see them, it causes a certain thrill and a certain delight. And when we love people, when we truly love them, we are in fact loving God. Jesus says this, for as much as you do this to the least of these, my brethren, you do it to me. You see, when we cheapen the second table, we cheapen it when we don't see it as a way of fulfilling the first. And we cheapen the first table when we don't see it as the only way to make possible the second. And we misunderstand both tables of the law when we don't view all of this through Jesus Christ. I was listening to Ben Shapiro the other day, <laughs> very interesting guy to listen to, and uh, he, he said this, he said, no matter what religion you adhere to, you can make your way to heaven as long as you keep the commandments. It doesn't matter what religion you are, it doesn't matter what party you are, as long as you keep the laws, you can go to heaven. Now, apart from being one of the most irrational things I've ever heard Ben say, that we can adhere to any religion and honor the Ten Commandments, this is where the Christian worldview is profoundly different than any other. We believe that Christ alone learned the law. We believe that Christ alone loved the law. We believe that Christ alone lived the law without ever skipping a beat. We've all gone astray, Paul says. None of us understands. We do not seek God. There's no fear of God in our eyes, he says. All of us, he says, we've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one of us. But where our hearts are hard, and where our hearts are cold, Christ's heart erupts in ecstatic delight in his Father's rules, where we can't wait to get away from God. Christ can't wait until the end of the day where he can mount up those steps of Mount Olivet once again and linger in his Father's presence. His voice is the voice of Psalm 119. My soul, O God, is consumed with longing at all times for your rules. Christ alone loves the Father for who he is, and Christ alone loves his neighbor to such a degree that he lays his life down not for his friends, but Christ lays his life down for his neighbor who is his enemy. Christ alone, my dear brothers and sisters, is the man. Eke homo. Christ is the true man. Christ is the only man, and he's become the only humanity that God accepts, the humanity upon which God has based his everlasting approval. And it's only as you and I are united to Jesus and evermore in faith deeply rooted in him that we understand all that these two tables of the law are all about. Love to God. Ecstatic, heart-rending, all-consuming love to God and love to our neighbor. Love that is so strong, stronger than the roots of the mountains. 
that it shakes the world with a manifestation of the glory of God. And now Jesus asks you and me to believe today that Him being so mangled and twisted upon a cross, He's paid the debt for our folly. He's cleansed us of our guilt by the offering of His blood and being raised from the dead. Jesus has now pioneered the way out of the tomb out of the sepulcher of sin and coldness, and he's risen to the new life of joyful obedience to God where his law becomes our delight and where these two tablets now can live in our hearts by the power of his spirit within us. This new humanity where Jesus is the head and the body follows him in his unfettered pursuit of love to God and love to the very least of his brethren. I mean, what a marvelous thing is the gospel. What an amazing thing that we get to say every week of what Christ is doing. He is the man. And he's the only humanity that matters. And he's doing something that is above all our ability to comprehend as he makes new humans in himself. Now, looking to this command today, It has many applications, the fifth commandment. It has great theological application as we consider how Christ relates to his Father. It has important application to how we relate to all kinds of rulers and all kinds of authorities in our lives because we see them, whether they're teachers, whether they're preachers, whether they're police officers or prime ministers, all of these things apply. It has much to say about the whole unit of the family, why a mother and a father are important for this idea of family. But today, I simply want to look at two aspects of this fifth commandment that are pointed out by the Apostle Paul. One aspect comes from Ephesians, and the other comes from Colossians. In Ephesians 6, in the course of expounding the ethics of the kingdom, Paul draws our attention to the promise that is appended to the fifth commandment. He draws this out explicitly. Children, he writes, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And then Paul says, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you might live long in the land. Now, the first thing we have to understand is that all of the commandments have promises appended to them. All of the commandments have promises appended to them. Do this and you will live, Jesus says in Luke chapter 10. The point of the commandment is life. The point of the commandment is reward. God gives us these rules to maximize our joy, not to diminish it. The commands don't bind us, they set us free. I will walk at liberty, cries the psalmist, for I seek your Precepts. The Puritan Samuel Bolton, he was asked whether the Ten Commandments were a limitation to Christian liberty. And Bolton answered, and he said, When I served God like a slave, then I was bound. But now that I serve him as a son, being tied to duty is my freedom. See, when God commands his children, God says, Look how I will bless you. 
God says, see how I will reward you. Listen to me and see how I will fill your land with the finest of wheat. I'll make honey come out of the rock for you if you'll just listen to what I say. God always commands us to bless us. And so all of his commandments have promises appended to them. But this command, as Paul says, is the first to name a specific promise which highlights the importance of this command. Children, obey your parents and you'll have a long and you'll have a successful life. Now, in the mystery of God's providence, there have been many godly families who've lost children at young ages. Martin Luther lost his daughter and he was inconsolable. Um, And uh, what we can't do here is to automatically conclude that if a child dies at a young age, that that child was uniquely disobedient. That's clearly very often not the case. And our response to any kind of situation like that has to be just to hang our heads in sorrow and recognize the, the, uh, the unspeakable grief of, of such an occurrence. The fifth commandment does not exempt God's people necessarily from the terrible tragedy of infant or child mortality. It doesn't do that. What it does do is to promise that if we honor our parents, if we listen to their counsel, if we submit to their godly judgments, it will deliver us from all those unnecessary evils and dangers that afflict the heedless and that afflict the foolish. That is to say, there are many bad things that can happen to you. There are many bad things that can shorten or ruin your life if you dishonor the shelter that God has provided for you in the form of your mother and your father. That's not to say that all parents do it right or do it well. In fact, all parents don't do it perfectly. And many parents do it atrociously and even viciously. And so this commandment speaks to the parents as well as it speaks to the children. As children are to honor their parents to honor their commands, to listen to their judgments and their advice, so parents are to act honorably. Parents are to live in the fear of God and in obedience to God so that when they speak, they have something of value to transmit to their children and so that their children have something to worthily obey. The principle here is that where you have godly parents... And where you have a child who doesn't learn the importance of honoring those parents, the potential consequences are dire. (laughs) Across the Old Testament, there are a number of important pictures and narratives that flesh out the problem of disobeying the fifth commandment. If you think of Ham, Noah's son, Ham, they had just come across the great flood and through the great flood, Noah had built a vineyard, right? The great patriarch of winemakers. He drank a bit too much and his three sons are hanging out. One of them goes into his tent and he does something utterly perverse to Noah and there's a subsequent curse upon Ham's life for his disobedience or his disrespect towards his father. Jacob's outright deception of his father Jacob outrightly deceives 
Isaac, although albeit at the, at the behest of his mom, uh, she's not helping at all, but even so, Jacob deceives Isaac and the rest of his life is this whirlwind that he reaps because of his deception. All that long suffering that Jacob had to endure as a result. Reuben, shaming his father Jacob uh, by coupling with Bilhah and the curse that falls upon Reuben as a result. Jacob prophesies, you will no longer excel, Reuben, for what you've done. The blessing of God has been removed from your life. And perhaps most graphically and disturbingly, Absalom's rebellion and his insurrection and treason against David and the helpless and the shameful and the grotesque end that Absalom comes to. Scripture is very, very serious about the consequences of children who do not honor their parents. And in each of these cases, even if they don't come to an early end like Absalom, their lives are marked with terrible tragedy and sorrow and profound suffering. Now the principle here, as we read in Proverbs 22.15, is that a child's heart is bound up with folly. Children are not born wise. Children are not born wise, a la William Wordsworth in his intimations of immortality. I mean, granting all the beauty and the truths of that poem, the child is not the best philosopher, nor the eye among the blind, nor the mighty prophet, nor is he the seer blessed. The child, rather, a la Scripture, is born a fool. And it's the parent's job to instill wisdom and instruction and to adorn a child with good sense and to drive out the folly that the child is born with. So you see the picture here and the difference. Children are not empty sponges waiting to be filled. Rather, they're born saturated with folly, Scripture says, and it's a parent's task to wring out all that folly and to saturate the child with the life-giving wisdom and the life-giving fear of the Lord, the fear and the admonition of the Lord, Paul says. It's no easy task, but that's a parent's job. And his or her future of the child depends upon it. The second aspect of the command has less to do with the ramifications of obedience or the lack of it, and more to do with children living unto God. And we find this in Colossians 3.20. Paul writes here, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Paul wants children and he wants parents to understand the ramifications of obedience to the fifth command, but he also wants children and he wants parents to understand that obedience to mom and dad is an act done unto the Lord. Children, Paul says, can have a big understanding. They can know that yes, mom, and yes, dad, have a far more profound uh, reality than just making their bed, or taking out the garbage, or, or putting away their devices, or being honest about where they've been, or what they've done, or who they've said it to. Children, Paul says, can know that their relationship to mom and dad is part of a much bigger and much more profound relationship to God. See, there's a broadening of horizons here. 
that Paul's doing. Paul wants to understand and to broaden their understanding of the mundane. Paul wants children to know that they can please God. And so they can also displease God. And this is really important for parents to grasp. That as we teach our children the gospel, that Christ alone has pleased God, that Christ alone continues to please God on our behalf, so we must also teach our children that they may do things that either please God or displease God. Not in a way that threatens their salvation, but in a way that ought to give them pause, and in a way that ought to instill in them a certain fear, a Hebrews 12 kind of fear. And our God is a consuming fire kind of fear. And Esau was rejected and had no chance to repent, even though he sought it with tears. Kind of fear. <laughs> you see, the apostle says that when a child rebels against parental rule, it is displeasing to the Lord. And it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Here's the thing for parents to remember. Much more important and much more material than our displeasure is the Lord's displeasure. And such should our fear of the Lord be that when our children misbehave and when they flaunt us, and when they refuse to, to listen to us, our first thought must be to see our children reconciled to God and to teach our children repentance before God to teach our kids the necessity to confess their sins to God because it is God whom our kids have just offended. You'll remember Job with me. God, at the beginning of that great book of Job, has been he's been boasting of his servant Job. There's none like him. None like him in all the earth. And just before God is boasting of his servant Job, we find him getting up early. That is Job. He's getting up early in the morning to offer burnt sacrifices for his children. Job's kids, they'd hold these feasts, these parties, and Job was worried that in their festivities, in their lightness of being, his children in the midst of their pleasure might have turned away from the living God. It may be, Job says, that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So he gets up early and he prays for them. And we read, and this did Job continually. And right after God says, have you seen my servant Job? There's no one like him in all the earth. See, a godly parent is far more concerned whether her child has displeased the Lord than whether her child has vexed her own heart. <laughs> it's very easy, isn't it, for a parent to be vexed by their child's disobedience? I mean, it's very easy to get annoyed by these things, but far more weighty is God's grief. And it's in these terms that we have to think. And it's in these terms that we need to teach our children to think. And when we do this, we end up teaching them the gospel, that there's forgiveness to be had in Jesus Christ. And it's a joy for a parent 
at the end of the day to lay your hands on your children's heads and to confess their sins to the Lord and to say, oh Lord, forgive them their sins because they don't know what they're doing. And then to claim the forgiveness and the mercy and the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. And as you pray for your kids night after night, confessing their sins and interceding for them, and reminding them of the blood of Jesus, which, my goodness, we have to do every day. Is there any day when I don't sin? Is there any day when my kids don't sin? We remind our kids to please God, to hate sin, to love righteousness, and to remember the goodness, the mercy of Jesus Christ, in, in whom forgiveness is to be surely found. What a joy for a parent to teach a child these things. And the Lord today write His law upon our hearts by His Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.